Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Okay, here we go. Week two of our sermon series through the book Song of Solomon that we are calling The Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage because we believe that God made marriage and only God can make your marriage better. Whether dating, single, engaged, married, divorced, or if you're on Facebook, it's complicated. We believe that this series is going to help whoever you are or wherever you're at. So, If you could do me a big favor, Redemption Online, could you go ahead and click the share button because we all know somebody who needs to hear this message. And most of you, that somebody is sitting next to you on the couch. So go ahead, click that share button, tag a friend, comment, invite them to join you for the Bible's guide to a better marriage. And notice it's the Bible's guide. It is not Byron's guide, okay? Because Byron's guide don't work. I know that. My wife knows that. We need something better than Byron's guide. We need the Bible guide. And my hope for this series is that we really get to help. And I'm just being honest with you up front. Me and Ashley, we learned all of this the hard way. That we didn't do it God's way, so we had to learn it the hard way. And it brought many years of pain and tears and heartache and heartbreak into our lives. And it wasn't until we surrendered ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, it isn't until we made a commitment to put God first in our lives, in our hearts and in our marriage until our marriage actually did begin to get better because here's what we believe, that God's way not only works, but God's way is better. And so I wanted to figure out a illustration to start off this message. So me and my wife, we were talking about it this week, taking a trip down memory lane and she reminded me of the first time we bought Ikea furniture. Okay, how many of you ever bought or built Ikea furniture, right? If you want to really test the strength and health of your relationship, okay, put together Ikea furniture. Like if you could build Ikea furniture without killing each other, getting a divorce or losing your salvation, then you have a good chance of your marriage making it. When we first got married, we bought our very first bed from Ikea. In the book of Hebrews, it says the marriage bed should be held in honor by all. Okay, Ikea is not where you buy an honorable marriage bed. But we bought our bed from Ikea, brought it home, and we began to build it. And then I just realized that marriage is a lot like Ikea furniture. Hear me out. When you go to Ikea, you're in the showroom, everything looks amazing. And then you bring it home, and it doesn't look the same. Marriage is a lot like building Ikea furniture. When you get it home, you're like, how did they fit that big bed in this tiny box? And then you open it up and you realize, oh yeah, there's some assembly required. Okay, it's a lot like marriage. And so me and Ashley were building our very first bed and I was like, baby, I'm gonna build this bed for us and then we're gonna put it to use. Okay, and so I'm working on the bed and, and, and here's what happens. I'm like, I don't need any help. I can do this on my own. Don't you see how it's a lot like marriage? See, me and Ashley were totally different. Ashley, she's neat, she's orderly, she likes to follow the rules, follow the instructions, she does everything step by step. Me, 
I don't do that. I don't need instructions. I don't need nobody telling me what to do. That's nothing but a bunch of religion. I have the spirit of freedom. I can do it on my own. And so here I am. I'm working on building this bed, not following any instructions, and everything is totally falling apart. Right there is, I'm trying to shove square pegs in round holes. Right? I don't, there's screws all over the house, just a lot like marriage, but there's a mess everywhere. And then I finally get it together and I say, hey, baby, look at this. I built the bed. And then she goes and she sits on the bed. And as soon as she sits on it, it falls apart. And I immediately want to blame the manufacturer. I'm like, the Swedish can't do anything right. They should stick to making fish and not making furniture because they can't build anything right. I can't believe these people. Oh, we got a bad bed. And then Ashley said, baby, it probably wasn't the manufacturer's fault. It was probably user error. The problem was that you did not read nor follow the instructions. I was like, yep, you know, that's, that's probably right. So we had to take it all down and we had to rebuild it and put it back together. See, marriage is a lot like Ikea furniture. And a lot of marriages are falling apart. A lot of relationships are falling apart because people are not following the instructions. When you get married, they don't give you instructions for marriage. Have you noticed that? When you go to the, when you go to the county clerk and they sign the marriage certificate, they don't say, here's your marriage license and here's the guide to understand your wife. Okay, They don't do that. You know why? Because there is none. Right? And men, if you got one, you probably wouldn't read it anyway. Okay, ladies, you're like, if they could only just tell me what he's thinking, then it would be better. There is no guide when it comes to marriage. There's nothing that the world has to offer to give you a guide to build a better marriage. So we don't go to the world. Instead, where do we go? We go to God's word. And if you want wisdom for your marriage, you need to go to the book Song of Solomon because this is a book that's all about the Bible's guide to building a better marriage. And in here, we're going to see God's truth, God's word, God's way for us to build a marriage that glorifies and honors God. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Song of Solomon chapter one, starting in verse five. And what I want to give to you today is the instruction manual, the Bible's guide. I want to give you three simple steps for you to build a better marriage. Three simple steps. But here's the deal. You have to follow the steps because if you don't follow these steps, then guess what's going to happen? It's all going to fall apart. You're going to be like me trying to build some janky Ikea furniture. It's not going to work. You got to follow the steps and the steps are very important. Here's the steps. The first step is to connect spiritually. What we want to do is we want to connect spiritually with our spouse. The second step is that we want to invest emotionally, tend to and take care of the emotional needs of our spouse. Step one, connect spiritually. Step two, invest emotionally. And then step three, enjoy intimacy. See, a lot of people want to jump straight to step three, but if you don't do steps one and two, you will never be able to truly enjoy step three. If you don't invest emotionally, if you don't connect spiritually, you will never be able to experience nor enjoy the intimacy that God has for you. The steps are very important. Just think about this. If you are taking a test, like an algebra test, and there is an equation, what happens if you skip a step in the equation? Well, you don't pass the test. A lot of relationships don't pass the test because they skip the steps. It's important for you to follow 
the steps. Keep the steps and use the Bible's guide to a better marriage. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Song of Solomon chapter one, starting in verse five. And the song title for today is In the Vineyard of Engedi. Okay, we're not doing sermon titles, we're doing song titles because it's Song of Solomon. So the song title for today is In the Vineyards of Engedi. As Ashley said, what do you think Engedi sounds like? What does that song title sound like? And she said Lion King. Right? She said Lion King. She, she thought, can you feel the love tonight? And I said, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of in the jungle, the mighty jungle. Never mind. That has nothing to do with my sermon. But I just wanted for you to be able to remember the song title. In the vineyards of Engedi. Here's what Engedi is. Engedi is a tropical oasis in the middle of a desert and dry, barren world. See, Israel takes place in a dry and barren land. It's surrounded by mountains and valleys. It's surrounded by wilderness and, 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 and by barren wastelands. And then in the middle of it, there's this little place called Engedi. That's what your marriage is supposed to be in the middle of this world. Your marriage, your life, your relationships and love is to be Engedi. And that's what you get when you follow the Bible's guide to a better marriage. You get to experience Engedi. When you connect spiritually, when you invest emotionally, and when you enjoy intimacy. So here's where we start. Chapter one, verse five. If you have your Bibles, we're ready to dive in. Connect spiritually. And I love that the Bible starts here, right? The Bible starts spiritually. You're not going to get this anywhere else. You can go to Barnes and Noble and you can get self-help books. You can get sociology books, but they're not going to start here. They're not going to start with the spirit. You can watch Dr. Phil. You can watch Oprah. You can do Dr. Drew's love line, but they're not going to start here. This is what separates Christian marriages from every other worldview when it comes to marriage, because everyone else is focused on the problems, but the Bible gets to the solution. Everything else is focusing on the symptoms, but the Bible gets to the source. It gets deep down where life change actually takes place to connect spiritually. And so here's where we see, starting in verse five, she says, I am very dark, but lovely. What she's talking about here is her physical appearance. She says, I am dark, but I am also very lovely. She's juxtaposing the difference between the physical and the spiritual. She goes on. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Gadar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me for I am dark, but the sun has looked down on me. My brother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of my vineyards. When she says vineyard, she's referring to her body, but my own vineyard, I have not kept. Now, in our day, tan is good. In that day, tan was not good. Today, we'll pay good money to sit on a beach and work on our tan. And if we can't afford to go to the beach, we'll go to a salon where they can cook us and where we look like a suitcase. People love to get very tan. Tan looks good. But the cultural standard of beauty has changed. In that day, dark was not good because it meant that you were poor. It meant that you were simple, humble, and rural, that you had to spend your days out working in the field. And she says, there is nothing special about me. There is nothing unique about me that I don't look like all of the other girls. I'm not going to be on a magazine. I'm not going to be a centerfold. I'm not going to be an Instagram influencer. I will never have 1,000 followers. I'm not going to catch that kind of attention, but I do have some different about me. 
that I have something different. It's not physical, but rather it is spiritual. She says, I am dark, but I am lovely. It's not what's on the outside. It's what God is doing on the inside. This is what true spiritual attraction looks like. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that man looks on the outward, but God looks what's in. She says, I am dark, but there is something different about me. It's my relationship and the way that I honor God. Listen, men, you need to start seeing women the way that God sees women. You need to start looking at your wife the same way that God looks at her, that he doesn't look at the physical, but he gets deep down and he sees so much more than that. He sees spiritual. He sees who she truly is and what God is doing in our life. You need to begin to see your wife and women the same way that God sees them. Dark, but they are very lovely. She says, this is who I am. You got to get past the physical and you got to begin to see it in the spiritual. She goes on and here's what she says. She says, tell me you who my, what's the word? Soul, that's spiritual. The soul is the mind, heart, will, and the emotions. It is a spiritual reality. And then she says, tell me you who my soul loves where you pasture your flock. Where do you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils themselves by the flocks of your companions? She's talking here about prostitutes, right? She says the veiled woman, that's a prostitute. That's a woman who sells herself for sex and sexually lures and tempts other men into sexual relations with them. She says, I'm not going to be like all of those other girls. I'm not going to be out there flaunting my stuff. I'm not going to be out there trying to attract attention. I'm not going to be out there trying to steer people away. I'm going to save myself, protect myself, and I'm going to have higher standards when it comes to my life. I'm going to have higher standards when it comes to my choices, decisions, and I will not compromise my beliefs just for a good time. She's saying, I am not like the other girls. I'm not looking for fun. I'm looking for a future. I'm not looking for a good time. I'm looking for a good man that I can settle down and live a good life. I'm not like those other girls, and I'm not looking for any other type of guy. See, ladies, you need to understand that when we're reading Song of Solomon, this is the type of woman that you are supposed to be, that you're supposed to have high standards. And last week we talked about this. You got to become the person that the person you are looking for is looking for. And if you raise your standards, I can guarantee you, you will raise the quality of men that you bring into your life. You got to become the one that you're looking for. If you want to find the one, you got to be the one. And if you want to meet the one, you got to be the one. Because here's what happens. As she raises her standards, guess what? She meets Solomon. See, Solomon, the whole time, he's been working on himself too. He's been becoming the one so he can meet the one. And here we see that Solomon is going to speak for the first time in the book. Solomon speaks. She says, I'm not looking for just anybody. And Solomon says, hey, uh, I ain't just anybody. If you want to become the one that the one is looking for. Solomon speaks up. He jumps in and he says this. Oh, don't you know? Mm-hmm. Don't you know? Oh, most beautiful of women. Follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats by the shepherd's tent. How many of you have ever heard of the Proverbs 31 woman? You ever heard? If you grew up in church, you've probably heard of the Proverbs 31 woman. This is the type of woman that God has placed inside every woman's heart. This is the portrait and the picture of what a woman is supposed to be. But how many of you knew that the Proverbs 31 woman is most likely the same young woman we meet in Song of Solomon. See, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs when he was the king about middle age in his life. 
And he was reflecting back on his wife of his youth, and he was talking about the love that they shared. This woman is most likely, scholars and commentators debate, but they think that this woman we meet in Song of Solomon is actually the Proverbs 31 woman because Proverbs is written to young boys, Song of Solomon is written to young girls. This is the type of woman that God desires for you to be. And look what Proverbs says about this woman. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is worthy to be praised. The most important relationship in your relationship is a relationship with Jesus. Write that down. The most important relationship in your relationship is a relationship with Jesus. He says, charm is deceitful. Beauty is deceitful. But a woman who worships the Lord, praise the Lord for her. Here's what you need to know, is that over time, you will not look the same way you look today. 30 years from now, you will not look the same way that you look today. Me and Ashley, we've been married for 12 years. We met when we were 19 years old. We do not look the same way today that we did when we first met. But I can tell you this, Ashley today is more beautiful than she was when I first met her. 10 years ago, if you would ask me, what do you find most attractive about Ashley? I probably would have told you, she's short and she's so petite and she needs help getting stuff off the top shelf. That's what I love most about her. It probably would have been her eyes or maybe her skin complexion. It might have been her hips. It might have been the way she laughs. But today I can honestly tell you that the most attractive thing that Ashley has is her spirit is the way that she loves God. It's the way that she honors the Lord. It's the way that she prays. It's the way that she worships. It's the way that she serves. It's the way that she mentors young women. It's the way that she disciples our little girls. It's the way that she encourages me and prays for me. That is the most attractive thing from Ashley. Listen, guys, you need to understand this, that women age like wine, but men age like milk. Women age like wine, but men age like milk. You got to get beyond the physical because it ain't going to get better for you, buddy. And for those of you 30-year-old dudes who are holding out, waiting for something better, it ain't getting better either. You got to wrap that up, B. You got to hurry up because it's not going to go well for you. That ship will sell fast. (laughs) Women age like wine, but men men age like milk. Listen, the sexiest thing that Ashley does is when she prays. The most beautiful thing that Ashley does is when she prays. My favorite thing is when I get home from an early morning run, Ashley, she is in the living room and there's worship music playing. And she's worshiping and she's singing and she's journaling and I walk in and I see her and I think, oh baby, I'm ready to speak in tongues. This is good. (laughs) So glad I'm charismatic. Should have bought a Honda, but instead I bought a Kia. There we go. The most attractive thing is the way that she loves God. And so let me ask you this question. When it comes to you and your spouse, how is your spiritual connection? Are you connected spiritually? See, what I've discovered is that most relationships are. What I've discovered is most relationships, they would say, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus, But normally that relationship is different. 
that they live in the same house, they maybe go to the same church, but they're not spiritually connected together. That maybe the husband prays in his car and the wife prays when she's getting dressed in the morning, but rarely do they pray together. You gotta be spiritually connected. Maybe he reads a book, maybe she's involved in Redemption Women, but rather do they serve and pray together as a couple. I ask men all the time, I said, hey, do you pray with your wife? And they say, oh, absolutely, I pray for my wife every day. I said, I didn't say, do you pray for your wife? I said, do you pray with your wife? And normally the answer is no, because there's not a spiritual connection. The most important relationship is the relationship that you have with Jesus. And so often the most important relationship is the part of the marriage that gets neglected the most. See, listen, men. Redemption Church, we believe that as men, you are the spiritual leaders of your home. Notice in Song of Solomon, she says, where do you shepherd your flocks? And he, she's, and he says, hey, come, why don't you see? And we can do this together. Right. See, as men, it's our job to lead. It's our job to set the spiritual temperature in our home. It's our job to lovingly, humbly serve and lead and sacrificially lay down our lives to be able to spiritually connect with our wives. Listen, I say this all the time. As the pastor, it's not my job to love your wife. Okay, I would get in trouble if I did that. I have a wife who would be very upset about that. Right? I can't love your wife. This is Song of Solomon. This isn't the Book of Mormon. We don't do it that way. I cannot, I cannot love your wife, but you know what? You can. Was that across the line? Is that good? We're good? We're good. Okay. I can't. I can pray for your wife, but I can't pray with your wife, right? Our redemption kids, we can invest in your children, but it's not our kids' ministry's job to raise your children. That's your job. And ladies are longing for and looking for a man that can be spiritually connected with them. And so let me give you a couple of ways that you can work on your spiritual connection. Right? If you do these three things, you will be spiritually connected. And you can do these three things starting today. The first thing is this. Read your Bible together. Read the Bible together. And here's the reason why. It's because this word is God's word. This word is true. This word is trustworthy. This is not just good advice. This is good news. And your marriage needs good news. God's word is the only word that can change you. You can't change your husband, but God can. You can't change your wife, but God can. You can't change your marriage, but God can. And if you get God's word in the middle of your marriage, you can step back and you can watch God's word work. Read your Bible together. This is what we do. Me and Ashley, we wake up every single morning. First thing in the morning, we read our devotional off the YouVersion app. Right now we're reading Relationship Goals by Mike Todd, pastor of Transformation Church. And every single morning we're reading and we're praying together through that devotional. It takes five minutes. Guys, five minutes. That's all it takes for you to have a marriage that lasts 50 years. Five minutes. And we just read our Bibles. We go through the devotional. And then... 
We have a Bible that we sit on the dining room table, and it's always there. And so we would sit down for family dinner. The Bible's right there. We put our phones away. We pick up our Bible. We read a couple of verses or chapter, and we talk about our day. And at the end of the day, when we're tucking our girls in bed, we have the Jesus Storybook Bible, and then we read that to our kids so we can teach the Bible to them as well. Amen. It's so important for you to have the Bible in the middle of your marriage. Read your Bible together. The second thing is, is to pray together. Take time and pray together. Don't just pray for each other, pray with each other. And here's the reason why. It's harder for them to hit you when they're holding your hand. <laughs> but seriously, if there's distance and tension between you, pray for each other. Right? Look each other in the eye and try to hold bitterness in a grudge. You can't do it. Look each other in the eye and try to have resentment. You can't do it. But when you're praying the blessings of heaven over the other person, asking for grace and mercy, repentance, and God's blessings upon them, what you're going to see is that you begin to grow closer and closer together. The shortest distance between two people is prayer, so you might as well be praying together. And what I recommend all the time is this. Pray first thing in the morning. And I always get pushed back when I say this. Because like, we can pray any time during the day. Yeah, you could pray any time during the day, especially in the morning. Because what happens is, when you start your day spiritually connected, you're going to remain connected throughout the rest of the day. It's so much easier to give your spouse the best and the first than giving them your leftovers at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, you're so frustrated, overworked, overwhelmed, and exhausted, you just lay in bed and you have no time to actually spiritually connect. Start your day connected together, and then pray for each other throughout the day. But start the day with prayer. And then the last thing is this come to church. Right now, if you're watching online, you're doing the very best thing that you will ever do for your marriage. Be a part of a local church. And here's the reason why. Because marriage is about Jesus and the church. How can you love your wife like Jesus loves the church if you're not going to church? I mean, how else are you going to learn to be married when marriage is the symbol of Jesus in the church? You want a good marriage? Right. Go to church. Amen. Because Christian marriages are the best marriages. Christian marriages are better marriages. And listen, I don't say that nonchalantly. I don't say that, oh, because we're perfect, because we ain't perfect, we're just forgiven. That doesn't make us better, but Christian marriages statistically are better marriages. And here's how I know. Because Bradford Wilcox, he's the author of Soft Patriarchs, New Men. He's one of the leading sociologists around the issue of religion and faith in America. And he works out of the University of Virginia. He discovered that Christian marriages, hands down, are the best marriages. In America, the divorce rate is near 50%. Just so you know, that's not good. Okay, that, that's not good. Okay, that's one out of every... Two, that's not good. Okay, imagine if I told you like half of the people who eat this meal die. You're like, I'm fasting this week, pastor. I'm not eating that. <laughs> so it's not a good thing. But here's what he's discovered. That Christians who read their Bible, pray together, and are members and active in the local church drop the divorce rate from 50 to 15. Yes. 15%. If you just do three things, if you read your Bible, if you pray, and you come to church. Why? Because it's about spiritual connection. But that's just the beginning. It actually gets better. So I want to go ahead and read to you some of the things that he says in Soft Patriarchs New Men about the importance of church membership, especially for men. Especially for men. Here's what he says. 
Couples that attend church together are 35% less likely to separate than couples who do not. It's together. Christian men are more active and expressive with their children. How many of you think that kids need better dads? Kids need better dads? Okay, bring them to church. It goes on and says, Christians have a more positive outlook on marriage. Christian men are more emotionally engaged towards their wives. How many of you ladies would like your man to be a little bit more emotionally engaged? How many of you like just to be engaged at all, right? You're like, that's it, that's it. Bring him to church. Church attendance promotes empathy among men towards children. Christian men are more involved in extracurricular activities with their children. Get this. Christian evangelical married men report the lowest rates of domestic violence than any other group of men in America. Christian men are the safest men in America when they read their Bibles, when they pray together, and when they go to church. Somebody give me an amen. Amen. And then here's the icing on the cake. Couples who attend church frequently have more frequent sex than couples who do not. And women who are married to men who pray with them every single morning have more orgasms than women who do not. Tell me God ain't good. (laughs) Tell me Christian marriages ain't the best marriages. If that don't make you want to sign up for next steps, I don't know what will because it's about a spiritual connection. See, this is the marriage that God loves to bless. When you do it God's way, you get God's blessings. And if you just do these three things, if you read your Bible, if you pray together, and if you go to church, God's going to bless that marriage because it's about a spiritual connection. It's about getting to the heart. It's about getting beyond what's physical, getting deep down, doing the hard work of investing in the soul. The most important relationship is your relationship with Jesus. So for you married couples, here's what I want you to ask the question. How is your spiritual connection? How is your spiritual connection together? And for those of you who are single, we're going to hit this real serious next week. But I want you to know, if they don't love Jesus, they will never be able to love you. If they don't love Jesus, if they don't worship Jesus, they will never be able to love you the way that Jesus loves the church. It ain't going to happen. There is no spiritual connection there, so there is no point in you pursuing a relationship with them. You got to follow the steps. Step one, spiritual connection. How is your spiritual connection? The second thing is this, invest emotionally. So number one, we want to connect spiritually. She says, I am dark, but I am lovely. And he says, oh, most beautiful women. Yes, you are. You are dark, yet you are lovely. They have a spiritual connection. And then the second step is to invest emotionally. Look what Solomon says. He speaks up and he says, I compare you. He's speaking to her. He says, I compare you my love, Reah in the Hebrew. That means my best friend. You are my closest companion. You are closer to me than anybody else. You know what that is? That is an emotional investment. And then he's going to begin to compliment her. Guys, ladies love compliments. So take a note from Solomon. Here's what he says. He says, I compare you my love, get this, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. He says, baby, you look like a horse. (laughs) Now, guys, that worked 3,000 years ago, but I don't think it's going to work today. Okay, don't call, don't call your wife a horse. But what he is saying is very special. Here's what he's actually saying. Pharaoh's horses, they were the most prized possessions in the land. There's these white, thoroughbred Arabian horses. They were actually considered to be deity, that there was no one like them. They were the most 
priceless possessions in the entire land. And he says, baby, you are like Pharaoh's horses. You are the most prized and valuable, and I cherish you more than anything else in the world. This is an emotional investment. And then he goes on, he says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck is a string of jewels. I want you to notice the tenderness, the caress, and the gentleness as he speaks to his wife. Verse 11, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. He buys her jewelry. Next, she speaks and she says, while the king was on his couch. Ladies, you're wondering, why does my husband always come home and sit on the couch? Because it's biblical. (laughs) Let him sit on the couch. It is biblical. When he comes home, don't put him back to work. Let him sit on the couch just for a little bit. Let the king be on the couch. And all the men said? This is why the men go to redemption. (laughs) While the king was on his couch... My beloved to me, she says, is a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Now, I don't know what a sachet of myrrh is, but I'm pretty sure he's glad he was one. Amen? (laughs) My beloved to me, she says, is a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Everything else is desert and barren wasteland, but when we are together, it is sweet, it is tropical, it is an oasis. It is beautiful, and this is our home. My beloved, you are beautiful. Beloved, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. Look at that. He's laying on the lines thick. You are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And then she speaks. She says, behold, you are beautiful. My beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. They're back on the couch again. It's biblical. And the beams of our house are cedar, and the rafters, they are pine. The first step is what? A spiritual connection. The second step, when it comes to building a better marriage, is to invest emotionally. This is what they're doing. They're investing emotionally into one another. It's a back and forth. It's reciprocal. They're both making deposits into the relationship and investing emotionally. Listen, I want you to think about your marriage like a bank account. Okay, you got to think about your marriage like a bank account, and you want to be making deposits into that account. What happens if you make more withdrawals than deposits? Okay, you go broke. What happens if you stop investing in maybe your 401k, your Roth IRA? What happens if you stop investing for your kids, for your kids your graduation or for your retirement? What happens? Eventually, you're going to go bankrupt. And a lot of marriages and relationships are broken and bankrupt because we stop investing emotionally into our spouse. See, when you're dating, oh, you're making a lot of deposits, right. right? You're trying to get everything you can out of that relationship. You're just trying to get them to say yes. And when you're dating, you make a lot of deposits. And then what happens when you get married? You're like, I don't need to make any more deposits anymore. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. You got to keep making deposits into that relationship and investing emotionally into one another, caring and meeting the needs of your spouse. Let me give you a hypothetical situation that may or may not have happened in the Ellis house this week. (laughs) I came home from work, and normally Ashley meets me at the door. And normally Ashley meets me at the door, and she says, my love, my dove, my king on the couch. But she doesn't say that. I'm kidding. (laughs) But this day, she did not say anything. And I was like, I know she's here because I could hear her. I could hear her footsteps. And they were angry footsteps. Guys, you know the angry footsteps, right? They're like, she is so tiny, but when she walks, 
I don't know how she does it, but she's walking around the house, and I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And I have to figure out very fast, am I still in trouble or did I get in trouble? <laughs> but I know something is wrong. And so I go up to her and I say, I say, babe, is everything okay? She says, yes, everything is okay. I said, oh, no. Something, something's wrong. What, what's wrong? And then she says, I shouldn't have to tell you. You should just know. I'm sure this has never happened to you guys. And so I said, uh, I don't know. She said, you should know. I said, listen, babe, I am as spirit-filled as they come. And I've studied the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've even taught sermon series over it. But baby, mind reading is not one of them. <laughs> That is not a gift that God has given me. So please, for the love of God, just tell me what I did so I could fix it. She said, you really want to know? I said, yes, I want to know. She said, you really want to know? I said, yes, I want to know. She said, I shouldn't have to tell you. You should just know. I said, just tell me. She said, fine, I don't feel like you love me. And I would love to be able to tell you that that broke my heart. But it didn't. In fact, it made me angry. I was like, what do you mean I don't love you? Of course I love you. Look at all these things that I do for you. Look at all this. I work hard to provide for you. I bought this house. I bought the car. Right? I pay for that frou-frou drink that you like to get from Kroger that tastes like soap, but all the hipsters drink it. I buy that for you, too. I buy all of these things for you. Of course I love you. Look at everything I do for you. And she says, yeah, but you, you, don't, you didn't tell me that you love me. And here's what I said. I shouldn't have to tell you. You should just know. <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> Wrong answer. Wrong answer. But here's what I discovered. Is that you don't get to determine the way another person feels loved. Amen. See, there was a miscommunication between us when it came to showing and expressing our love. We were no longer emosting, investing in each other emotionally. I was so busy working on our marriage, I forgot to work in our marriage. I was so busy working in my life, I forgot to tend to and take care emotionally of my wife. We stopped investing into each other emotionally, and then all of a sudden, there was a fight, and we had become bankrupt. And here's the reason why. Because you don't get to determine the way that another person feels loved. You have to love them in a way that they are able to understand. You have to love them in a way that they are able to understand. And I'll give you a little hint. Okay, ladies, men need to be loved through respect. Men need to be loved by being respected for what they do. But guys, your wife needs to be loved and respected for who she is. See, men and women are different. See, some people say that women are more emotional than men. That ain't true. We just express our emotions in very different ways. See, I wasn't loving Ashley because I was more focused on what she did than who she was. And she didn't feel loved. But Ashley wasn't loving me in that moment because she didn't care about what I was doing. She wasn't respecting me for my accomplishments and my achievements, and I wasn't loving her for her identity and her value and worth for who she was. I have a verse before y'all think I'm crazy. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says in Ephesians 5, he says, marriage is a mystery. How many of you would agree? Amen. All the men, y'all amen way too loud on that. <laughs> Brothers, y'all supposed to amen in your hearts. 
Marriage is a mystery. I don't understand them. This is so hard. I don't get it. And why are they so complicated? He says, this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, what's the word? Love his wife and see that the wife, what does she do? Respects the husband. All right. Men need to be respected for what they do. But women need to be loved and cherished and nurtured for who they are. Because you don't get to determine the way that another person feels loved. You have to love them in a way that they are able to understand. It doesn't matter how hard and long you try to defend yourself. It is pointless because it's not going to get through to them or make sense because you don't get to determine the way that another person feels loved. You have to love them in a way that they are able to understand. And this is where... The five love language from Dr. Gary Chapman becomes so important. I know a lot of you have heard this before, but I want to go ahead and teach it again. There is five love languages, ways that people give and receive love. And here's what they are. Physical touch, acts of service, giving of gifts, and quality time. Did I miss one? Did I miss one? The other one is acts of, uh, words of affirmation. Okay. All of these are taking place in Song of Solomon. The entire book, lots of these are going on. In this chapter, in this section, all of these are happening. So let me go ahead and read to you a couple of verses, and we'll play a little game. If you're watching Redemption online, go ahead and leave a comment. I want you to make your best guess what love language is taking place in Song of Solomon that we read today. How about this one? I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. What do you think that is? Okay, that's words of affirmation. Guys, if your wife is words of affirmation, you got to be complimenting her. You need to be speaking life into her, over her, every single minute of the day. Texting her throughout the day, baby, you are amazing. I love you. Sending her emojis and winky faces and gifs. You got to be doing all of those things, constantly communicating, complimenting if your wife has the words of affirmation. You need to be doing like a play-by-play announcements on how amazing she is, right? You can't just tell her, you know, you're beautiful and then wait 3,000 miles until you get your oil changed to tell her she's beautiful again, right? You got to keep complimenting her. You need to be like Tony Romo calling for the Dallas Cowboys play-by-play. You're amazing, babe. You're special. You're awesome. Look at that. Oh my God. How do they do that? You smell like vanilla ice cream. Your macaroni is delicious. I can't even tell it comes from a box. You got to be giving her words of affirmation. And now ladies, if your husband is words of affirmation, you need to speak about what he does. Listen, I'm words of affirmation. I will do anything just to get a compliment, right? I will run through a brick wall if it makes Ashley proud of me. I'm saying, hey babe, you like this head injury? I made it myself. (laughs) I will do that. I'm words of affirmation. I'm gonna go around the house and I'll like do the dishes and I'll be like, hey babe, look at that. Cascade clean, that's what that is. She'll say, sweetie, you are so good. You're so great. Oh, my Solomon, my big hunk of man. (laughs) But I will do anything. And some of you ladies are like, but my husband doesn't do that. Well, if you start complimenting him, maybe he will. If you don't like what you're seeing, watch what you're saying. Respect your husband. Respect your wife. Love and compliment and speak life into them. And then you call them out of that and they become what you say they are. Speak words of life. Affirmation. How about this one? Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your necks are like a string of jewels. Okay, what do you think that is? It's gifts. Some people, they get love by gifts. They give love by giving gifts. I grew up in a home like this. My grandparents raised me, and I didn't have much of a relationship with my mom, but she would come into my life intermittently, and she would always bring me gifts. And as I was growing up, I just felt like my mom never actually loved me. 
And she never said she was proud of me. She was never emotionally affectionate towards me. And I was like, mom, why can't you just come home? Why can't you just get right? Why can't you just do these things? And then she would come and then she would give me a gift. I said, I don't want this gift. But it was later in my life I realized that her love language is giving gifts and that was the only way she knew how to love me. And once I realized the importance of love languages, I was able to receive love from my mom and it brought a lot of healing into my life. You have to begin to understand, give love, and receive love in the way that other people do. How about this one? Our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, and our rafters are pine. What do you think that is? It's quality time. Our couch, this is Ashley. She's like, what are you doing? Come do nothing with me. (laughs) Now listen, I'm type three Enneagram. And so if I'm not accomplishing or conquering something, I don't feel like I have value or worth. She's a nine, peacemaker. (sighs) And so I'm like, hey, babe, what do you want to do tonight? She's like, nothing. And it's like, well, does that mean I can go do something? No. (laughs) Quality time. And I'll give you a hint, guys. If you are married to a woman who quality time is her love language, being on the phone or the laptop or working, even though y'all both to sit on the couch, that is not quality time. So here's a little hint. Turn your phone off, turn your wife on. Quality time. I'll leave it at that. How about this one? We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. This is service. Have you ever, you know this person. How can I help you? How can I bless you? How can I serve you? Can I get you anything? Do you want me to do anything? Can I give you a little foot rub? Can I give you a little back rub? Can I help you? Can I do any of this for you? Hey, I decided I'm going to have 500 people over for community group this week, and I'm going to make lasagna for everyone, but don't worry about anything because I got the sides and the trim, and I'm going to sweep it all up. I'm going to clean it out, send out the invitations because I just want you to be able to enjoy yourself. Can I help you do anything else? That's, that's service. Okay, and then how about this one? Last chance, multiple choice. My beloved to me is a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of Engedi. My beloved to me is a sachet of myrrh between my breasts. Give you a moment, give you a moment. What do you think it is? It's touch. You can always tell the couples with touch because they look like third base coaches. Calling a signal, trying to steal second base. That's touch. Now, I know that I'm being silly, but this is actually very important because you have to understand the way the other person gives and receives love because you don't get to determine the way that another person feels loved. So what I want you to do today is I want you to ask your spouse, are we emotionally invested in one another? Am I speaking and loving you in a way that you understand? Am I tending to and caring for your needs? We're going to connect spiritually, but we're also going to invest emotionally. So I want you to ask, are we emotionally invested? Which leads to the final step, the last step. It's not the most important step, though. The most important step is the first step, spiritual connection. The second step is emotional investment. And then once you make the first step and the second step, then and only then, in the context of marriage, you get to enjoy intimacy. See, so many people, they want to jump straight to step three. But you'll never be able to experience true intimacy if you jump straight to step three. You got to do the work of spiritual connection. You got to invest emotionally. And then once you do that, then you're able to enjoy intimacy. Here's what he says to her. 
She speaks first. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. This is a woman who is safe and secure in her identity. This is a very same thing she said back in chapter one, verse five, where she says that I am dark, yet I am lovely. She says, on the outside, I just look like everybody else. On the outside, there's nothing unique and special about me. But on the inside, God is doing a work in my life. I have taken the time spiritually. I am a rose of Sharon. I am a lily of the valleys. And then he says, oh, baby, you are a lily among brambles. Every other girl is a thorn bush compared to you. You are a lily among the brambles. There is no one like you. There is no one as beautiful as you. There is no one as kind and caring as you. I am spiritually connected and now emotionally invested. And then she speaks, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. And then they begin to enjoy intimacy together. Here's what she says. With great delight, I sat in his shadows and his fruit was sweet to my taste. That is as sexual as you think it is. You can go home, you can read it, get the commentaries, study it together. She goes on and says, he brought me to my banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins. Now, I know most of y'all don't know what that means, but that is one funny line. Sustain me with raisins. In that day, they believed that raisins were an aphrodisiac. She's saying, baby, get the chocolate and Red Bull because we're going at it tonight, all night long. <laughs> what David would do, Solomon's dad, he would actually send his men home from war with raisin cakes saying, hey, go make love to your wives. And she's saying, grab the raisin cakes. Get the raisin cakes because I am hot. That's exactly what she says next. Refresh me with apples for I'm sick with love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Here's what it is. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. They're in make out position. What she's saying is, put your hand on my hip and when I dip, you dip, we dip. That's what she's talking about. The left hand is under my head and the right hand embraces me. And then she says this, it's very important. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the does of the field and by the gazelles, that you do not awaken or arouse love until it pleases. She says, this is good but you gotta keep it in order. Because if you don't keep it in order, then it's gonna get out of order. You gotta follow the steps. You gotta connect spiritually. You have to invest emotionally. And then and only then can you enjoy one another intimately. Listen, God made sex. God designed sex. And God made sex in such a way for a husband and a wife to enjoy it. God wants sex to be pleasurable. When God made the man, it wasn't an accident. When God made the woman, it wasn't an accident. In Genesis 2, it says he made a helper fit for him. That the man and the woman fit together. God designed them in a way to where sex would be pleasing, passionate, and pleasurable. Some people think that God made the body and Satan made the genitals. That's not the way that God designed us. God wants for you sexually to be intimate with one another, but here's his design to do it. He wants it to be spiritually connected, emotionally invested, 
And then you can experience and enjoy intimacy together. She says, this is good, but you gotta make sure you do it the right way. You gotta make sure that you do it God's way. Because the truth is, is sex is not physical. Sex is physical, but it's more than physical. Sex is spiritual, sex is emotional. Sex is more than physical, it is spiritual, it is emotional. And this is what love truly is. See, we live in a day and age that the world doesn't know what love is. They say, we love this, we love that, I feel loved, and everybody feels loved and say they're loved and give their love away, and that's the reason that nobody actually feels nor experiences love today. That we love too easily and we give ourselves away too freely because we don't know what love is. But the Bible defines love in a different way. The way that Song of Solomon defines that word love is dode. In the Hebrew, it's dode. And I want you to notice how many times she says the word love. She says, my beloved, do not awaken or arouse love. My love to me, I am sick with love. She's speaking of love. And it's this word right here in the Hebrew, dode, which means a mingling of souls. That when you love, your souls become mingled together. I want you to know that sex is not just physical, it is spiritual. And the largest sex organ you have is your soul. This is the most intimate thing that you can give to another person. This is the most special and sacred and beautiful. It's the most deepest and intimate part of who you are. It is your soul. That when you are in marriage, your souls become mingled together. It is a self-giving and a self-receiving. It is a serving and opening up to the deepest, most intimate centers of who you are with another person. Your souls become mingled together. Sex is not just physical, it is emotional, it is spiritual, it is relational, it is down to the soul. And this is why she says, do not awaken or arouse in love until it pleases. Because when you do, your soul becomes mingled with others. And that's not the way that God intended it to be. We gotta get rid of this crazy myth that sex is just physical. It's not just physical, it is spiritual. And the largest sex organ that we have is our soul. And for those of you who are single, listen to me. I love you, I'm trying to help you. There is no condom big enough to go over your soul. You need healing. You need protection. You need wisdom. You need God's way for your life. Because if you just give your soul away, it's going to lose yourself when you're in it. Listen, you are not just the body. People say, it's just my body. No, it's not. You are more than a body. You are a soul. And so don't give your body to anybody. You need to protect your soul. See, some of you are thinking, Pastor Byron, he's just going on that sex and purity and chastity, telling me to abstain from marriage and wait until I get married. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody believes that anymore. I know, and that's why the world is so broken. That's why every relationship leads to heartache, heartbreak, hookup, shack up, repeat, do it all over again. And that's why so many people are devastated and broken. That's why so many people are missing out on God's intention for their life and why patterns of repeated relationships continue over and over and over again because your soul is broken. It's not physical, it is spiritual. And many of us, we need our souls to be healed. I'm just thinking right now that there is 
people in the room, as the Spirit leads me in this moment, I just want to give this verses of encouragement. If you hear this and you're thinking, it's too late for me, I've already done this, I've lost this. I have not done it the right way. My soul is fractured, broken, and torn. Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. Come to me, all you who are weary. Right now, I hear this speaking, the Spirit speaking right now. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your soul. We serve a God who gives fresh starts. We serve a God who gives new beginnings. We serve a God who makes all things new. For those who are broken and tired, for those who are exhausted, weary, heavy laden, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. So here's what I want to tell you singles. As you're hearing this, and she says, do not awaken or arouse in love until it pleases. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to grow your no so God can bless your yes. Amen. Grow your no so God can bless your yes. When you grow your no, God will begin to bless your nest. yes. See, she grew her, her no. She said, I'm not gonna be like all those other girls. I'm not gonna go by the flocks and by the companions. I'm gonna grow my no. And guess what? God blessed her yes. Amen. Solomon grew his no. He said, I ain't going there. I ain't doing that. I ain't going to be like all those other guys. And God began to bless his yes. Singles, do not awaken or arouse in love. Listen, grow your nose so God can bless your yes. If they're not spiritually connected, that's a no. You need to find yourself another brother because it's not good. If they're not spiritually connected to Jesus, they ain't going to be spiritually connected to you. If they're not praying and reading their Bible now, they're not going to do it later. If they don't have a spiritual discipline practice today, you're watching to see what kind of man he's going to be. You're watching to see what kind of wife she's going to be. If they're not spiritually connected, if you're not spiritually connected, grow your note. If she's always tempting you saying, hey, baby, come sit on my green couch. Let's practice our love language of touch and quality time. Watching Netflix at 3 o'clock in the morning. Grow your note. Because nothing good happens on a couch at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're setting yourself up temptation and failure. Grow your nose. Say, no, I don't want it. I'm not going to be like that. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm going to grow my nose so God can bless my yes. yes. Do not awaken or arouse love until it pleases. And for those of you who are married, God has already blessed your yes. So don't say no. Don't say no. Just keep saying yes. Don't say no. God's already blessed that yes. Keep saying yes. You said I do on your wedding day, say I do tonight. Yes. God blesses that yes. So you say yes uh, anytime. Just keep saying yes. For the singles, it's like no. For those of you who are married, what are you waiting for? Yes. God has blessed your yes. Listen, sex is a beautiful thing. Sex is a powerful thing. But outside of the proper context, it could be a very painful thing. Listen, God's not trying to minimize your pleasure. God gave pleasure to you for a reason. God put those desires in there for a reason. I meet people and they're like, I just wish God would take away my desires. No, you don't. You wish God would channel your desires. You want God to begin to work in your life the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So that way, when the time comes, you are prepared and you are ready. Listen, God is not trying to rob you of passion. God is trying to protect you so you can enjoy the most possible passion that you can. Amen. He wants for you to enjoy it because it is spiritual connection. It is investing emotionally. And then it is enjoying one another 
intimately. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Pastor Byron, you just have to say these things. You're the pastor. You're a preacher. This is church. You just have to say these things. And you know what? I do. I have to say these things. First reason is this, because it's the Bible. And my job is to preach God's word. This word is good. This word is trustworthy. This word is true. That means it's timely and it's timeless. This word is true. I have to preach it. I'm not doing my job if I don't preach this word. And this is exactly what the Bible says. And I'm not loving you properly if I'm not preaching God's word. So yeah, I have to preach these things. But secondly, I'm preaching them because I'm trying to help you because me and Ashley didn't do any of these things. And I'm trying to let you learn from my mistakes. That me and Ashley, we were not seeking God together. We were sinning against each other. That when we first met, we were both sexually active before, during our dating relationship. I didn't take the time to invest emotionally in her. I didn't spend the time spiritually connecting with her. And then when we got married, we wondered, why do we not have true, genuine intimacy in our marriage? And the first three years of our relationship were very difficult, very hard, and I'm surprised by the grace of God that we actually made it because I didn't do the work of spiritually connecting with her. When we were dating, I never prayed with her, read the Bible with her. We would go to church together, but we would also sleep together. And then when we got married, I wondered, how come it's not everything that I thought it was gonna be? Because we didn't do it God's way. We had to learn it the hard way about spiritually connecting with one another, about being emotionally invested in one another, and then being intimately enjoying one another. And so here's what we did. We surrendered to the Lord. I looked my wife in the eye and I repented to her for not being a good husband and not for loving her the way that Jesus loved the church. And I said, baby, by the grace of God, I want to be a better man. And then she cried and she repented and we prayed. And we decided that day that we were going to commit ourselves to the Lord. And that's when God really began to change our lives. See, this is what Jesus says. Some of you are thinking, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how far we are gone. I don't know, but here's what I do know. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. You can start back at one if you seek God first. God is a God of fresh starts, new beginnings. God is a God of second starts. God will let you have a second chance if you seek him first. You can start back at one if you seek first the kingdom of God. We decided we were gonna seek God first in our marriage. We were gonna surrender our wills and our lives to him. We were gonna trust in him. We were gonna believe in him. We were gonna pray together. We're gonna read our Bible together and we're gonna become a member of a church together. We're gonna put God first in our marriage. We're gonna seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is his cleanliness, his forgiveness. That is his redemption. That is his perfection given to you. When the blood of Jesus washes over you, you are clean. You are declared righteous. The old is gone. The new has come. You have been forgiven righteous. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, repenting to one another, praying together. And here's what Jesus promises will happen. All these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Where does a better marriage start? Spiritual connection. Seek first the kingdom of God together. 
emotionally invest in one another and then enjoy intimacy together. So my final question for you is this, are you connected to Jesus? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God in your life? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? If you give your life to Jesus, you can give your spouse to Jesus. If you give your soul to Jesus, you can give your marriage to Jesus. And if Jesus can forgive you, you can forgive them and you can start together anew today. Give your life to Jesus and I promise you, you will have and experience the marriage that God always intended for you to have because God made marriage and only God can make your marriage better. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these will be added unto you. Connect spiritually, invest emotionally, enjoy intimacy. Now, right now, I feel led by the spirit to pray for salvation for you. As many of you are here today and listening and watching online, you need to make that commitment to follow Jesus. The first and most important relationship in your marriage is your relationship with Jesus. So if you are not connected, if you are not surrendered to Jesus, there's going to be a link in the comment section. Click that link, send an email to our connect team. We would love to reach out and be able to pray for you. Give your life to Jesus today. Become spiritually connected to the Lord and Savior who loves you and gave his life for you. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.